Is the Cambridge Dictionary trying to erase women? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, December 19, 2022. Hello, everybody. I'm Roger Patterson, joined today by Patricia Engler on the end there and Jessica Jaworski in the middle. And we're going to be talking about an article that comes to us uh, out of a change in the Cambridge Dictionary. But first, I want to offer you a happy winter closure period. (laughs) Happy winter closure period. And that'll make sense in a little (laughs) bit. But (laughs) onto this Cambridge article we've got first. Here we have a, a title from Fox News, Cambridge Dictionary Changes Definition of Man and Woman. Uh, Subtitle 1984 wasn't supposed to be a how-to manual uh, with the the idea of newspeak there coming out of of that book. So we have uh, many dictionaries in the past have already kind of done these types of things where they've taken the definition of man and woman and added alternate definitions that change the way we look at these things. Uh, So this isn't a big surprise. It's not a big shock. In fact, for me, it's kind of a shock that the Cambridge Dictionary hasn't already accomplished this. Uh, But this article lays out the new definition uh, as we try to understand what a man is, what a woman is, and how did they distinguish this from the way it's been looked at in the past? Yeah, they, I mean, ultimately, it's an attack on God's word when, and back in Genesis, when the serpent says, did God really say? So that's what we see playing out here, too. There's no objective standard that's being used. It's all being subjective to what man's idea of definitions are, and those are always constantly shifting, constantly changing, whereas when we go back to God's foundation in Genesis, we see that he lays out male and female. We see that in the created order, so it's important to go back to his objective truth when we're looking at this, and it sets a dangerous precedent too, Roger was mentioning that other dictionaries have changed um, other uh, words that have been used in the past too. We see that played out with some of the abortion stuff when when, when life begins. We see that um, with some of the dic- dictionaries that have changed those in regards to the abortion. And it's always the most vulnerable that are hurt in regards to this. We see that with the abortion. We see that with men occupying women's spaces too um, in things like this when you shift those defini- definitions and you don't have that objective standard, that objective truth. Yeah, well said. And I noticed, like, I went to look up what, what is the dictionary actually saying here. And so this new definition of women as someone who identifies as a woman is the second definition. So the first definition is an adult female human being. So it's like, that's interesting. So female still has to mean something. So I looked at their definition of female, and guess what it was? It was belonging or relating to women. Wait, that's so, a little circular, a isn't it? It's a little bit circular, right? So right. if you identify as a woman, you identify as an identification But that's not actually signifying anything outside of itself. So then you run into the problems that Jessica is talking about. And these attempts to control language are ultimately attempts to control truth. That's a a manifestation of man trying to be God, being his own authority for truth or her own authority. Mm -hmm. And then this is also a hallmark of totalitarianism, something to really be on top of. And we don't have to bow to that. We, We, as Christians, would affirm reality as it comes to us from God. Yeah, so this new definition states an adult, uh, this is a definition for woman, an adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. So the, the language here that's been shifting is the difference between sex and gender in the mind of our culture. Uh, from a biblical perspective, we see those things as identical. We aren't assigned a sex at birth and then we choose our gender later. God has determined those things for us in the womb, and he's knit us together there, and we're created in that, in that unique way, each one of us, either male or female. And so this allows this flexibility at later points in life, and you can even go back and forth and, and gender fluidity 
is, is a newer concept as well. So it really does shift the definition. And as much as uh, we think about the idea of being made in the image of God, being created male and female, that equality that's there in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, there's an attack on women that's very clear here, but there's just as much an attack on men because the definition for man does the same thing. It just flips the word to uh, different from the sex assigned at birth. Right. So there's really no difference. And it's a Romans 1 type of theme mm-hmm. where we're devaluing what the creator says, valuing what the creation says, putting man's word above God's word. Right. If we stand on the authority of God's word, then we needn't be swayed by changing definitions because we have that objective standard that we're measuring everything against. And our next article takes us on a continued dystopian theme. Uh, Artificial wombs are becoming a a reality, not just science fiction. Uh, You can see playing there on the screen a video of this facility that is envisioned by a man named Hashem Al-Ghaili, and his goal is to get people thinking about future ideas. He's a, he's a science influencer, as we like to use that word today. And he's really trying to stir the pot, puts out this video. What would happen if we created all babies in wombs? How much better would the world be uh, without the uh, actual womb of a woman? And instead, in the artificial womb here in the pods that you can see being played out in the videos. And for me, uh, this brought some movie scenes to mind, <laughs> like uh, Clone, the Star Wars 2, Episode 2, Clone Wars, and the uh, Matrix, and Gattaca, and, and Brave New World, and all these different things that just should really make us stop and think about these things. Those never turn out well either. There's, there's all sorts of ethical concerns, too, with regards to this, of who, who gets to make the decision, too, that if, the, if these um, children were created in this artificial womb, that how long they're sustained? Like, who gets to make that decision? If there was something that happened that was a mistake where there was um, something alteration, genetic alteration with it, then who gets to decide whether or not they continue? So there's just all sorts of ethical dilemmas and concerns here that I'll let Patricia speak to in just a second. I'm sure you have some stuff about that. But um, it, it really just reminds me of Romans 1, that it's a suppression of the truth and unrighteousness. And God's word also says that they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It was, it's a worship of the creature rather than the creator. And God says that when that happens, he gives people over to a debased mind. And that's what we would see ha- uh, play out if we allowed this kind of thing to happen. Yeah. So while these babies are developing in these pods, they're given these nutrients and they talk about all the care that they're given, along with continual monitoring for genetic issues that might arise. Interestingly, the video in English calls them babies, and it talks about human life. Um, It talks about using in vitro fertilization selection techniques to get the right baby you want with the right traits. And if you buy the elite package, the upgraded package, you can even use CRISPR to edit the genes of your baby to get the right eye color and the right height and the right intelligence. Now, this is all a bit of speculation, but it's stuff that's theoretically pretty possible. So, Patricia, where do you see some of the ethical concerns rising out of those types of issues? Yeah, absolutely. Like with any of these technologies, one thing to keep 
keep in mind is that they're called, a lot of them are called um, what's known as dual-use technology, so they have some life-saving elements and then some very ethically concerning possible applications. So you want to kind of separate those a little bit. So in this case, these could be used to save the lives of premature uh, babies, or say there's an ectopic pregnancy, the child could be transferred over there. Now there is important bonding that happens in the womb between the mother and child, so you want to minimize as much as possible the child being in an artificial environment. But no, but no, they have an <laughs> app, and you just talk to your baby through your phone. You I, don't even have to be there. I feel like psychologists might have a little bit of oh, some, okay. some concerns about that. But So there are these potentially beneficial uses if you have it, say, in a clinical setting, as opposed to the video that's showing it like this basically baby farm. Yes. Right. So then these other applications that come in, especially dangerous because in our society now, unfortunately, pre-born babies are not considered to have human rights, at least not up to a certain stage of development, which is kind of arbitrarily chosen. So then that opens up the door for all kinds of things, all types of availability for, like we talked about, the gene editing, um, the designer baby idea that can really lead us down a road towards this eugenics mentality where we're trying to purify the human race. That does not work well. We can see that in history. And then there are also, there's going to be all sorts of push for using babies for research purposes because they don't have human rights yet, right? So there's just all kinds of really travesties that could come about from this um, using them for even potentially like donor organs and things like that. If they're not considered to have human rights, you could literally be farming babies for these types of purposes. And even just thinking about designer babies from a biblical perspective, besides the whole eugenics mentality, you're beginning to objectify children, basically making them a customizable consumer commodity as opposed to gifts from God who he's knit together and designed for specific purposes. So a whole lot of concerns here if we're going forward with this as a secular society, which does not have a foundation for human value, for human rights, and for morality. Some really big problems when you see technology increasing without a foundation for morals. So Yeah, it's not a reality right now, but they do mention where they have done similar things with lambs before, and we, we see them do this with mice, too. They're able to put mice in an artificial womb, so the technology is out there for this to take place with humans. So, yeah. so I would encourage you to go watch this video. Just look for Ecto-Life, and I'm sure you can find the video. It's eight over eight and a half minutes long. And there's a lot of appeal to emotion in this video as well. We want your baby to grow up in a safe environment where there's no chance of infection and they're going to have perfect nutrition to maximize their growth and there won't be any pain in childbirth. Ladies, you can probably think that's a good deal, right? But they're playing to your emotions to get you to accept this false idea of reality. And it's one that we should really reject from a a biblical perspective. And this just reminds me again of the difference in the Christian worldview. We don't put our hope in technology. We don't put our hope in man's ideas. We put our hope in what God has provided for us. He's created a world. That world has fallen and broken. And now our hope is not in developing technologies to save us, but in turning to Christ. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's where we need to help um, point our mind and our thinking toward Christ-like thinking in all of these things. Amen. All right, next article, a fascinating fossil discovery. This fossil overturns more than a century of knowledge about the origin of modern birds. So this is our weekly installment of 
evolution had it wrong all along. We've got to rewrite the books and make new trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you love that headline, overturning knowledge? Because if it's knowledge, if it's a real fact, it can't be overturned. So yeah. what they should have said is overturning assumptions, which in fact they did say in the title and the first line, like the subtitle. Yeah. Yes, that's that's the point here. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, this is a very interesting fossil that had been found. It was basically a cluster of bones that was hard to discern and they didn't want to tear it apart. And so it got uh, put on a shelf for a while, pulled back out, examined, put back, pulled out, back and forth. And the technology here is very fascinating. Using mm-hmm. a CT scanning, they can look at the different bones that are inside this, this uh, little cluster of rock and see the different uh, fossilized elements in there. We've done something sim- similar with our uh, fossil Allosaurus Ebenezer out there to look at the brain case. And they found embedded in this fossil a beak structure that was way um, way too modern in the evolutionary sense than it should have been for its age in the rock record. And it really came back to this idea ultimately of they assumed birds would have progressed along this line based on some ideas from Thomas Huxley, uh, who was affectionately called Darwin's bulldog. And those assumptions didn't quite play out the way they expected them to when we find the actual evidence. Yeah, God's word, when we go back to his word in Genesis, he tells us that birds were created on day five and dinosaurs on day six. And their evolutionary ideology here is showing that uh, they believe that birds are modern day dinosaurs. And so, as you mentioned, the, the actual science, the CT scan is really cool, but you see that your, your uh, worldview definitely informs your science. And that's very evident, too, in the naming of the specimen that they found. I went and looked at the actual research article where they actually conducted the research. And in naming this uh, specimen, its name, it's first, the first part of it, it's Genavis fin- Finalidins, I think is how you say that. But it says, um, this is quoting from their actual research article, Genavis, from Roman god Janus and the Latin aves for bird. In, Romans mytho- in Roman mythology, Janus is the god of beginnings, endings, and transitions, reflecting transitional aspects of the morphology of Janavis. So it just shows that your worldview matters. There's no such thing as neutrality. It's going to inform how you do science, how you conduct your research, and how you name your specimens in your research. But wait, when I was training in college, they told me science was neutral and we were the arbiters of truth by science. That's not the way it works out, Patricia? No. I don't think so, but I mean, like, you, you're, the, you're the scientist bird lady here, so... <laughs> no, it's you not. Can, <laughs> you can see um, from a biblical perspective that usually the observational science fits a biblical view even better than what these evolutionary assumptions are coming up with. For instance, they had to assume that, well... There's this like simpler beak structure in um, th- things like ostriches, and you can speak yeah. to this a little more. But yeah, some of the flightless birds, like the ratites, they find this unfused bone within the jaw structure, whereas the fossil that they found has more of this mobile beak, and they see that in modern birds. So it doesn't fit within that evolutionary ideology of this. This doesn't fit within the primitive bird structure. So it's they're saying that's why it's um, overturning what they previously knew. But yeah. it's it's yeah. confirmation of God's word, knowing that He created all the animals according to their kinds. And also, too, it's interesting that they point out that they're finding birds alongside dinosaurs when they discovered the specimen. So that kind of blows their ideology, too, out of the water. It doesn't make sense to fit within that framework either. So they assumed this fixed beak structure was the the primitive structure. And so that's called the paleonath, the ancient jaw. And then that would then later become the mobile structure in modern birds, the uh, neonath, the, the new jaw. And that isn't the case. We see these things simultaneously. We see them alongside dinosaurs, not other 
other dinosaurs. Birds right. aren't dinosaurs themselves. And so all of those things, the assumptions that they had built into this have been shown to be true. Now, they would say, well, that's the benefit of science. We can see how all these things work out eventually. But it wouldn't have held them back for that long and missed all of these things uh, if they had started from the right, right place in the first place. So watch out for those loaded terms. We see things like paleonath and neonath. Those are, um, those are assumptions that come to us from an evolutionary worldview, and we need to stop and think about those things. And that relates us uh, relates right to this next article, another fossil. Katydids had the earliest known insect years 160 million years ago. And this, again, seems like our weekly segment of Katydids look exactly like Katydids, even 200 million years supposedly ago in the fossil record. Mm -hmm. And there's interesting um, descriptions here. To me, what impresses me about a lot of these fossils is the detail that we find. We can find these noise structures that are on their wings and their legs and how they rub those together to make those sounds. Um, But this had a, uh, you you were very enraptured by this opening line. Why don't you read that opening line of this article for us? The opening line says, over 100 million years ago, the chirps of insects known as katydids dominated the sounds of Earth's nights. That's a lot of facts in that first sentence there of, wow, where there's no eyewitness account to know that. And I, I haven't looked at the actual research article for this, but I doubt that type of language is being used in the actual research. There's no scientist that conclusively make a statement like that because they were not there to directly observe that that was the case. Yeah, science news is a popular level. They take papers and digest them and present them to the, the public. So we've got to be aware of the types of spin that they're putting on those who imagine a night filled with katydids, and that was the dominant sound. But then later they talk about mammal sounds and other things and kind of contradict themselves. Yeah, they do. So it's just so important to be applying that critical thinking all the time, biblical critical thinking, asking, okay, what are the facts we can actually observe here? Observational science, things we can see in the present, for instance, that they have ear structures that were identical to the ones found on today's katydids, which matches a biblical worldview, versus the historical science, oh, millions of years ago, the world was filled with this music of katydids chirping in the evening. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's nice. But that's not actually a fact. It's an assumption. It's a lot of storytelling. There's some eloquence in there. So just always filter through. It's a good exercise. Even at some workshops at the Creation Museum here, we get people to go through articles, cross off the assumptions, underline the facts, circle those words like maybe, might, could, probably, may that show you it's probably just an assumption, not really a fact. So just practicing those as you read through these articles is actually not only useful, but faith affirming. And then you can see that a lot of these things that are presented as facts not only don't support evolution, they support the Bible. Yeah, so uh, Patricia's got her CT scan. I developed a little thing called Ask. What's the authority, starting points, knowledge? How do you know these things are true? There are all kinds of little tools we can employ to, to ask about these things and examine them carefully. Uh, we've got a video product here, um, Noah's Flood Washing Away the Millions of Years. So Dr. Terry Mortensen uh, studied the history of how all the, the idea of ancient uh, time and millions of years, how that influenced geology and and how it started from a biblical perspective and got corrupted. But when we read these dates, like these katydids that are 157 million years old, we just look back to the time of the flood and those, those fossil layers that are there. And the katydids that were around before the flood look a lot like the katydids that are around today because God created those kinds, mm-hmm. and we see that maintained. 
All right, our next one, uh, since it is very near Christmas, this one's quite fitting. Brighton University urges staff not to say Christmas because it's too Christian-centric and instead to call it winter closure period. So that's what I was referring to in the opener. <laughs> Merry winter closure period, everyone. Merry winter so, closure period. So festive. It just <laughs> sounds so flat, doesn't it? <laughs> very heartwarming. <laughs> All right, so here, this is coming out of the UK, Brighton University. So they released a... Uh, kind of a memorandum, a, a directive, some guidance to their students and faculty on how to be more careful about the words we're using so that we don't use offensive language that's centered in one culture and uh, Christmas, of course, being too Christ-like and too Christian-like is one of the things that, that came up uh, at this time of year. And um, it's really just a reminder that as we operate as a culture, we have a shared history and a shared past, and that informs us. And when we think about things like Christmas, that is a Western tradition that we have shared with, with England and, and the UK, and it really teaches us about our past and points us to where we're going in the future and where we are in the present. And that's what a lot of um, writers have pointed out as they're trying to point out the issues with these uh, new totalitarian governments and those types of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some Marxist ideology in here, too, of this kind of oppressor-oppressed ideology. And I want to point out that, I mean... God's word tells us that we are to use our tongue in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him. As we read in Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it's important to use our words in a way that's honoring and glorifying to the Lord, but not give in to this totalitarian mindset. And um, we're, we need to look to God's word in the gospel where we know that uh, we're all created in the image of God and we all for, fall short of God's glory. Romans 3, 23 says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we're reconciled through Christ too. So we need to remember that. Amen. And that is what gives us the basis for human rights in the first place, being made in God's image. And this whole article is also playing off the idea that, oh, there's neutral ground and then there's the Christian ground. So we want to avoid Christianity and just be on the neutral ground. But whoa, 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 that's not actually how it works. This is like man's word versus God's word. If you're, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. So this is promoting a non-Christian religion. And notice how this is different from tolerance. There's a difference between tolerance and demands for affirmation. So if this was about tolerance, they would be tolerating Christianity. But when it's about demands for affirmation, they're demanding that you show that you are for the not Christian side. And the problem with demands for affirmation compared to tolerance is people in totalitarian regimes can kind of get away with tolerance by just not speaking against something. But when there's a demand that you show you support something, then you have to be constantly just trying to prove that you're affirming whatever they want you to affirm. And then the problem with that is you can't be affirming enough. There's always a way you could be showing more support. There's always someone else who's going to be showing more support than you are. You get into this kind of hamster wheel thing. People like Orwell have written about this. We see it in the French Revolution. We see it in totalitarian regimes in the past. I encourage you to be reading autobiographies from people, especially Christians, who lived through things like that, so you can recognize these patterns. And then notice that when you're in this environment, that actually runs contrary to feeling safe and secure, which is how they're trying to push these things. So just all things to be paying attention to. We do not have to fall for being bullied, basically. It's okay for everybody, but... Right, yeah, inclusive, but who's included and who's excluded from it? Uh, We've got a book here uh, we want to highlight as well. 
uh, The War on Christmas. So this is a book that many of us wrote in uh, years ago. And the idea here is to look at the shifting culture and how those things are changing. And uh, rather than just using a bunch of rhetoric, let's, let's look at the real arguments. Let's try and use Scripture to persuade people of the truth. Again, pointing them to the hope of Christ. What is Christmas about, if not pointing people to the hope that we can find in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, our next story. A retired Navy SEAL made famous after coming out as trans opposes, announces detransition. She says, he says that this destroyed my life. All the language gets so confusing there. Mm -hmm. So this individual, um, Chris Beck was a Navy SEAL and back in uh, 2013 or 14 transitioned and believed that he was a woman. And part of this uh, story that he's telling here now as a result of this, after having been propped up by the left and CNN and other media sources as this model for recognizing his false toxic masculinity and now becoming um, more on the feminine side, it really shows the level of manipulation that he says he experienced as a result of having um, some obvious psychological stress and trauma with all the things that he had been through, but then being pointed by psychologists and others in very short order uh, to just, oh, well, just become a woman and that'll solve all of your problems. And that's not what he found. Right, no, there's some, there's just some heartbreaking stuff that's come out of some of this transgender ideology too, of people experiencing brokenness and regretting the fact that they transitioned because these are life-altering and they're um, long-term effects and something that they use often is the medicines that they use are the same that they use for medical castration. Uh, Like Lupron is a medicine that is used for um, some of this uh, suppression of um, uh, puberty and it's used in kids, which is very harmful, and they don't often talk about the side effects that come with this either, and it's under the guise of euphemisms like life-saving or gender-affirming care, when really it's causing all of this harm that is very unfortunate, and these young people are under the uh, impression that these psychologists and that these doctors are in a position of authority over them, and so they're they're thinking that they can trust these people when they're not showing them all the harmful effects that might come out of this. There are probably some underlying motives that go along with that. Right, right. And again, shows you just the worldview they're coming from. And it's also another example of how different um, ideas are basically being used to to the harm of people who are in vulnerable conditions, like youth, for instance, who are asking a lot of questions. They're in a very delicate time of life, and this is a strategic time. If you're wanting to do a number of things, just like even on the spiritual side, if you think about um, how gender being core to humanity, when you read Genesis, that's about the third thing that was mentioned about humans. We're made in the image of God. We're called to steward creation. God made us male and female. And then it's just basic to truth, and it's an attack on the family if you're trying to get rid of those, like, fairly basic roles within um, the family unit, and then that destabilizes society, which causes a number of other issues. And then it's also just an attack on individuals as vulnerable people made in God's image. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's quite, yeah. a, quite a number of things going on here. I just wanted to read 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's important to go back to God's word and find our identity in Christ and not these fluctuating ideas of male and female that are always fluid in regards to gender and some of this transgender ideology. 
right, in our last article, we'll end on a positive note. Uh, religious hospitals relieved from performing transgender surgeries, according to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals here in the United States. So this was a case that was brought. This was very similar to one that was reported out of the Fifth Circuit uh, about a month ago, three or four weeks ago. This one uh, deals with several Catholic hospitals who didn't want to provide uh, these gender-affirming surgeries, as they're called, for transitioning youth and other people and just wanted to be able to care for them as, as people and wanted to love them and express those things toward them, but not violate their conscience in changing what God had made uh, as to be male or female. And they were actually granted that relief. So we've got a positive case here to report on, and that won't be uh, forced upon them as organizations. Mm -hmm. And we we faced some of that here <laughs> at Answers in Genesis, uh, pressures from those different laws. So it's a, it's a blessing to see those things happening and uh, getting some relief from those types of things. Yeah, good news for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting in this article how they also talked about the idea of doing no harm because you have doctors who have sworn this Hippocratic Oath and part of it is we're not going to harm patients. So then if they believe that these surgeries would harm the patients, that leads to this conflict coming between the doctors who don't want to do harm versus the patients who are asking for surgical answers to what they might be genuinely experiencing as suffering, and they were wanting relief from that. So it was interesting because I was uh, reading a book recently, back from 2004, so almost 20 years ago, and this guy, he's a doctor, he's predicting this, this kind of shift happening as there's this um, change in thinking about medicine. So back in the days of the Hippocratic Oath, where doctors would swear to do no harm, part of that original Hippocratic Oath involved no abortion and no euthanasia because it was really about protecting the sanctity of life first and foremost. Then when abortion and euthanasia came, in, there's this shift in thinking so that medicine started to be about just primarily relief of suffering. Now, the problem with that is you can define suffering in all kinds of different ways. For instance, parents could say that raising a preborn, uh, a not yet born child would cause them suffering, so therefore they need to have an abortion. So then this doctor is talking about how when you're redefining medicine as primarily being about relief of suffering, that ends up basically working out to be a power play against the vulnerable and the voiceless because the people who have a voice to claim that they're suffering from something can use that against the people who don't have a voice that might be affected like those preborn children. So this is just another example of that. There's this conflict happening. There's the shift in medicine, which was predicted all these years ago. We're seeing it playing out now in a number of arenas, and we need to be talking about that sort of thing and holding the line on biblical authority because that is the foundation for valuing human life and doing no harm both. Yeah. And that's all the news items we have for you today, but we want you to uh, point you to a couple things. It is our end of the year. Uh, we are a nonprofit ministry, and we appreciate very much the generous donations that come from uh, all of our listeners and supporters and viewers, people who visit the attractions uh, here in Northern Kentucky. And right now we have our year-end giving campaign. We'd encourage you, uh, if you can, uh, to be giving to that. There's a QR code there you can scan. that will take you to our website or right on the website. There's some information there. And right now we've got a matching gift. One of the key goals with this is looking to build a larger um, 
uh, visitor center where we'll have this model you can see there of Jerusalem and, and the temple. Uh, build that into this answers, uh, the Ark Encounter visitor center where people will come in and, and enter. So a big expansion project we're hoping to, uh, to generate some revenue for there. And then also we're looking forward to in May having our homeschool experience, equipping generations for the king. Now we had our first one last year. How do you guys think that one went? It was great. Yeah, yeah I, I was unfortunately out of the country, but oh, I heard it were. was phenomenal. And I got sick during the second yeah, part of it, but I was there crazy, for the first part. Crazy week. It yeah. was packed with all kinds of people. So we're looking forward to do, doing that again. Uh, lots of great speakers lined up for that. Uh, I think all three of us will be there doing, mm-hmm. doing different things. So uh, that opportunity. Now we are almost at Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll, get it, we'll forget about that uh, winter period or whatever, winter closure period. And with that, uh, we will be not be having an episode next Monday, uh, right after Christmas. Our next episode will be Wednesday, January 4th. Uh, we'll be broadcasting on Wednesdays for a little bit of, uh, for a couple months while the museum is closed um, on Sunday and Mondays. And we'll see you all back on that date for more Answers News. God bless. Merry Christmas.